What is up, everybody? Welcome to a brand new episode of Ringside Rewind. Boy, oh boy, I am very, very excited to be here today. I am one half of your podcasting tag team champions, Chris Jardy, a.k.a. Snaggle J. And as always, jumping in with the hot tag, my main man, Mr. Chris Doyle. What's going on, buddy? Snaggle J, it is a beautiful day in the neighborhood. Thank you for being my podcast neighbor. Well, listen, I don't mind. We're coming in hot, hot, hot today. We've got a very big episode today as we are diving in the Wayback Machine 31 years ago uh, as we are taking a look at the ultimate challenge from WrestleMania 6. But before we get to that, we, we're going to go into the dark matches, but we're going to kick it off with a last-minute script change because Mr. Doyle, hot off the presses, breaking news 20 minutes before we started this recording. What's happening in the world of wrestling right now? It's one of those stories that if it had come out as we are taping this yesterday, we are taping this on Good Friday, we wouldn't have believed it. The countdown came on the WWE Network, and we have found out what it is. WWE Network has announced that Chris Jericho will appear on Steve Austin's Broken Skull Sessions. You know, and that could happen like any night. You could put that on any time and it'd be great. Nope, we're going to air it after night two of WrestleMania. Sports Illustrated has had the story with comments from Jericho and Austin. Uh, Jericho texted uh, Austin after the interviews with The Undertaker, and they talked, and Jericho said, wouldn't it be cool if I could be on the show? And Austin said that but would be really cool. And they put the deal together. Austin then texted uh, Vince McMahon, who apparently, without really thinking about it, gave the thumbs up and okay. Austin even did the old, I'll ask twice, just to make sure. And sure enough, Vince said, not a problem. It was also okayed by AEW owner Tony Khan. The SI story talks about how in this interview, nothing is off limits. Tony Khan really is the forbidden door because that, I don't think there's any doors left. I think we're into windows now because everybody one way or another is working together. Yeah. So I know we don't like to go too far into dark matches, but I feel like this is one where we we might need to dive into this for a minute or two. Uh, I do like the fact, by the way, that even though they put the information out there on April 2nd, they felt the need in the tweet to put no fooling because people would have assumed it was an absolute April Fool's joke. Maybe they just didn't hit send in time. But here's the thing, right? You know, this is like the, this is the forbidden door of all forbidden doors. No, this is not working together on a wrestling event. This is not WWE guys on Dynamite or AEW guys on Raw or SmackDown. But anybody who has left the company... And I think guys that I primarily think of right off the bat are Chris Jericho and Jim Ross, guys who were longtime WWE guys who have left. And they have said many, many times on their respective podcasts that, you know what, they still have a good relationship with Vince. It was never ugly. It was never nasty. Like Vince understood where they were coming from, from a business standpoint, from a where they were in their lives standpoint. And, you know, JR said, and even just on last week's episode of Grill and JR, 
that, you know, he still texts Vince every now and then. They don't talk about business, but they still have a, a friendly relationship. So, you know, for of all the people in the universe that Vince McMahon unequivocally trusts, Stone Cold Steve Austin is probably at the top of that list. And Jericho isn't far down that list. Yeah. And, and so, I mean, for if, if, for if you're Vince McMahon and, and Steve comes to you, Steve Austin, one of the smartest business guys ever, right? Everything he did when he was a, a performer and everything he's done since then, he knows what he's doing in the, in the wrestling sphere from a business standpoint. He would have never gone to Vince if he did not think it was a good idea. Vince would have never said yes if he didn't think it was a good idea. This thing is going to do ridiculous numbers. Um, I will be interested to see how off or nothing is off limits is actually nothing is off limits. Um, I, I do hope that it is, in fact, as they have said, completely nothing off limits. Um, and they dive into some of the stuff, you know, the Fandango WrestleMania match and, and the leaving for AEW and all that stuff. I really do hope they they, they dive into that. But again, you know, this this to me it would be how if you're Vince, I don't understand how you would even say no to this proposition because it's huge, huge business that they're going to do. And then to put it on after the second night of WrestleMania, like, I mean, this is just a groundbreaking thing that that we're still like, I mean, it's only happened a half hour ago as you and I are recording this and I, I texted it to you or uh, messaged it to you right away. And I was yeah. like, like, what the heck does this even mean? Well, another thing to think of too is WrestleMania is really the big launch for the WWE network on Peacock in mm -hmm. the States. And one of the things that Peacock is it, it, it wants content. It wants new content. That's why they're paying I think it was a five or three billion over five years or some ridiculous amount of money for the WWE network content. Um, Vince isn't going to make, or WWE is not going to make an extra dime off Chris Jericho being on um, broken skull sessions because all that money now goes to Peacock. Yeah. But does it ever make them look good in yeah. that corporate sense to allow this to happen mm -hmm. i don't know if this happens if wwe still owns wwe network yeah that's an interesting dynamic to it too right like again i'm sure that this is still you know vince giving the thumbs up thumbs down if this is something that's going to happen but that's right how how much influence does the does the quote-unquote network execs have over what goes on because again this will do huge business for for the network in terms of you know subscribers i think again this is this is worth subscribing for a month just for this broken skull sessions episode um i really look forward to it happening and i'm sure we're going to break it all down uh in a couple of weeks after it has happened well that depending on Depending, I know you and I have talked about bonus episode before WrestleMania. We may do a bonus episode after WrestleMania, yeah. and that would include kind of a breakdown on Broken Skull Sessions. Yeah, I agree. Um, one of the things that this is good for content-wise as well, 
uh, as we kind of move on a little bit uh, to another part of the WWE Network Peacock deal. I hate that name, by the way. Peacock, yeah. I hate it. Yeah. Um, they have a team that's reviewing all 17,000 hours of content from the WWE Network to see what fits their standards and practices. Content that Peacock feels does not mig- does not feel matches will not be migrated over. Uh, and also it appears that WWE Network internationally, like the one we receive here in Canada, uh, will be following Peacock's lead in that whatever Peacock does, deems doesn't fit, it will remove from the network for the foreign markets. Now, they do expect the entire network to be transferred over by August. Thus far, the two key things that were edited was the Roddy Piper Bad News Brown match from the WrestleMania we're looking at today. Uh, of course, during that match, Roddy Piper uh, painted himself half black, including his face. Uh, there was also a segment from the 2005 SummerSlam where Vince McMahon used the N-word in an attempt at comedy with John Cena. This this has turned into a story that's getting a lot of mainstream coverage, uh, New York Times, and uh, both in the entertainment world. So since this has occurred, a lot of the content stories haven't been good ones. So let's put the Chris Jericho out there on Broken Skull Sessions, and that kind of changes the narrative a little bit. Yeah, I've talked to some people, some American friends of mine, who are not impressed with the early days of the WWE Network on Peacock. Um that it, you know, again, that they fear for what this means for the future of content. And again, completely apples and oranges, but this was one of the major issues. And again, not comparable at all, but this was a huge issue in the late 90s in WCW when the Time Warner AOL deal happened and the standards and practices came down it changed the product and it changed the product at a time where everything was edgy and attitudinal and it really was just not a good experience. Now, fast forward 25 years and, you know, yes, this is old content that has already happened, but like, I understand certain things. I understand climates have changed, blackface, racial slurs, uh, all that kind of stuff. I get it. But, like, WWE has been already heading in this direction, you know, with editing out of vicious chair shots, which I don't disagree with. Um, or, you know, several years ago when they made the the switch to uh, grayscaling the screen whenever there was blood. Um, again, as we go on and time and time goes on, just how edited the back catalog is going to become uh, is, is a dangerous line that they're starting to approach I mean, you could cut out half of the Raws from the Attitude Era quite easily. Every other segment was full of TNA and weird other things that just shouldn't have been happening. Uh, well, so were... far, so far, the Degeneration X skit on the Nation of Domination is still on the network. It won't be for long. I guarantee that. <laughs> it, yeah. absolutely, it absolutely will not be for long. So, again, I- I'm not oblivious to the fact that the world has changed since 1998 and you know that we need to to update some things that have happened and maybe erase them from memories but again this is a there's a line that they have to try to skirt here with this service that a lot of your hardcore fans were hardcore fans then 
and like having the network for what happened then and watering down and removing a lot of parts of the product, if that's the direction they decide to go in, um, could have dangerous repercussions for the, for the network. And just remember that it's not WWE that's making the decisions. It's Peacock, NBC Universal. The absolute extreme line to this is, somebody mentioned this on one of the uh, message boards that I look at. It was not out of the realm of possibility that Peacock decides to edit all mentions and viewings of Chris Benoit. Yeah, that 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 is something that I think you might see happen as well. I, I, I that is one that would not surprise me in the least, to be honest. Uh, finally, in our dark matches, we'll go back to uh, our last set of dark matches for a little bit of an update. It has been officially announced that NXT is moving to Tuesday nights following WrestleMania. Uh, that show will be used to reset storylines after TakeOver Stand and Deliver, which is two nights. Uh, it will end 18 months of the Wednesday Night Wars with AEW that NXT has been on the losing end of. Uh, good news for uh, those of us here in Canada and internationally. Uh, looks like BT in uh, the UK, as well as Sportsnet, is following the schedule change and showing NXT Live, even though here in Canada, the live airings have been suffering, getting lower numbers than the one-hour edited version that used to show before SmackDown on Friday nights. Are you more likely to watch NXT now that it's on Tuesday nights instead of up against Dynamite? Nope. I mean, yeah. I, I may, I may, I, the amount of wrestling I watch live is pretty much zero at this point. Um, I don't even watch Dynamite live. I, I record it and I watch it on Thursday morning uh, just because I can watch a two hour episode of Dynamite in an hour and 10, hour and 20 minutes and skip segments that I really don't like. And that's, again, more just from a, I'm a busy dude and time management is huge for me. NXT moving to Tuesday just means that I'll watch it on Wednesday as opposed to watching it on Thursday. Um, which I guess will, you know, help me space out my wrestling a little more, but it doesn't make it any more or less likely that I'm going to tune in. NXT is still a great product. Uh, I love the, what they are, what they're doing down there right now. Uh, I'm just going to, but it will not make me watch it live anymore than it would have on Wednesdays. I haven't watched an NXT show that wasn't a takeover since AEW started. And I don't mean like even the one hour version I think I maybe watched one or two, just kind of had it on in the background. NXT is, I'm having a hard time with it because I like a lot of the guys mm. uh, and the girls, but I'm just, AEW blows it out of the water. The yep. worst, the worst AEW show to me beats the best NXT weekly TV. I think maybe one of the the more lower rated on my personal scale dynamites was a few weeks ago. Um, I can't remember if it was the one right after revolution, but there was one in there. I remember tweeting that it was just not a great episode of dynamite. It felt convoluted and, and there was a lot of bad things going and it was still a great episode. It's just, again, dynamite has set the bar quite high in terms of, of good, Wednesday night wrestling content and action packed two hours. And, you know, a lot of the things that people uh, use as detractors from dynamite um, 
are, are more personal preference. It's not that, you know, again, some people don't like the extremely faction focused stuff. I love it. Um, I think it's great. I think it's a breath of fresh air. I, I think NXT being on any other night of the week, my problem with NXT is I don't care about much of what's going on outside of the main one or two storylines revolving the top males and the top females. I have a hard time getting super invested in the secondary stuff. Um, I still watch it, but like I can skip through some of the stuff because, you know, further down the card, I, I don't find those storylines particularly engaging at this moment in time. Exactly. And I think that's where I am too, is that there's been so many can't miss process uh, prospects in NXT that have missed so badly on the main roster that I find it hard to get invested in the characters knowing that eventually they're going to end up on the main roster and never be heard from seen again or changed from what I want to see. Yeah, I don't. And those are your dark matches for uh, this week. Now, keep an eye on our Twitter at Ringside Rewind, uh, as well as mine at CD Lawrence and at Snaggle J. It is coming. It is WrestleMania week as you listen to this. There's going to be a lot of news come out. Anything that breaks, uh, we will be sure to uh, put on the uh, on the Twitter machine. And you can uh, check it out there. That being said, I do know Raw has already been taped. Two, uh, the Hall of Fame's already been taped. And SmackDown, uh, the go-home SmackDown for WrestleMania has already been taped. So, uh, sorry, the go-home for WrestleMania has already been taped on SmackDown. So, some news coming out, and uh, we'll uh, be sure to get it out to you on the Twitter machine, at Ringside Rewind. All right. Well, a little longer dark matches than we're used to, but absolutely well worth it. It is WrestleMania week. Lots happening. Let's transition now to the reason why we are here. It is the sixth edition of the granddaddy of them all, WrestleMania six. Uh, it happened April 1st, 1990 from the Sky Dome in Toronto, Ontario, Canada, 67,000. 687 fans in attendance and it was billed the ultimate challenge uh, but before we get to the main card itself obviously this this event was billed completely around hogan versus ultimate warrior uh it was seen you know to my quick little bit of research this is pretty much the first mania where you you, you had two faces in the main event for the most part, um, obviously, you know, to look back at hindsight, this was sort of WWE's attempt to try to change the guard. Uh, Chris, as we go back to watch this, I don't know how often you watch this. I feel like it's something I watch once a year. But before we get into all the preamble and stuff, like, is this one of those WrestleManias where it was just like almost a surreal experience with how WWE was trying to book the main event. I think so. This is kind of one of those ones where this is a WrestleMania where they built completely around the main event. Like when you look at the other matches on this card, there's nothing that really jumps out at you. This was built around Hogan warrior yeah. and I mean, 1990, I was 
11, I was 11 years old when WrestleMania happened. So I was kind of in that right in that right age bracket for, for talking about it, where we talked about, were you a Hogan fan or a warrior fan? Uh, on the playground, one of the guys I went to school with, um, had the ultimate warrior picture jacket and wore it to school all the time. Cause he was that big of a warrior fan. Yeah. You know, and this was the, the show that kind of wanted to set Hogan, believe it or in 1990, wanted to send, send Hogan off onto the you know over to the horizon in 1990 and here we are 2021 and he's hosting wrestlemania this year but yeah you know that being said this was the beginning of the warrior experiment that didn't really take and i know we usually go into the law to a preamble about how this was built and how you know the storylines that went into it this was very simple they got face to face at the Royal Rumble, and then we were off to the races. Yeah, I mean, so a couple things to unpack here. You, you touched on how WrestleMania was built around this one match. Uh, on the main show, so excluding the one dark match, um, 14, oh, yeah, 14 matches on this WrestleMania card, um, two of which lasted longer than 10 minutes. The main event and DiBiase, Jake Roberts, which went just under 12. The average match length, just under six minutes. <laughs> so yeah. we're having, and really, again, you know, like, I, I this is a, a match that I watch, you know, probably once a year. I mean, it was a huge part of my childhood. I, I again, much like you, I remember, you know, all the things that you felt at the time and, you know, catching up on superstars, on what they were up to. But, like, you can't really name... The only other match I could think of off the top of my head that I remember happening at this event was the mixed tag match with Dusty and Sapphire against uh, Macho Man and Sherry. That was really the only other match that I could think of off the top of my head that happened. But that moment... And I'm going to insert a clip of it here because it's, it's one of my favorite wrestling moments happened like you said at the rumble when hogan and warrior meet face to face and like again you know even now 31 years after it happened that moment is just so surreal in that particular scape of what was going on at the time Hogan was WWF, you know, from 1984 until this exact moment, Hulk Hogan was the WWF. He had been the heavyweight champion for as long as you could remember. There was a brief stint in there where Macho had the belt and Hogan got it back. Um, 
he's you know he's he end up actually winning that rumble. He won the next rumble as well. Um, but this moment where Warrior, and, who had been so electric and so um, accepted by the crowd in terms of his presentation and his energy and his just you know look and his strength, you knew even as a as a nine to thirteen year old child. This was a very special moment um, in the history of wrestling when you had these two guys, one of which had been the face of the company for over half a decade, and the other one who was the up-and-coming brute force. Um, and like you said, this was a simple A plus B equals money, mm-hmm. right? You had Hogan who wanted to do other stuff. You had Warrior who, again in the grand scheme of who was around at the time, um, really, I think your only two viable other options in 1990 are Randy Savage and the Ultimate Warrior. And you already did the Savage thing, you know, so maybe it seems a little silly to go down that road again. So you've got this guy who's, who's built like a tank, who runs around like a crazy person, shakes the rope like he's going to rip it off, you know, body presses huge dudes. And then like, you know, so you see so you run with them. And, and, and it really was that simple. You have this crazy moment at the Rumble and we're off to the races with what up till that time was probably the most hyped main event uh, in WrestleMania history. Well, let's just look at the dates. February 3rd. It's a week after the 90 Royal Rumble match. Hogan challenges Warrior to the ultimate challenge to see whether Hulkamania or the power of the Warrior is the strongest force in WWF. The match is fish- officially announced on February 10th as the main event. And then on the 24th, two weeks later, it's announced as champion versus champion title for title. So if we've gone from them meeting at the Rumble to four weeks later, we're champion versus champion. There's a Saturday night's main event in there somewhere or a main event. And then we are at WrestleMania. Like there's not, we're not, there's no Kabuki stuff in here. This is all pretty simple. Yeah, this like yeah, this was hey, we got this moment. Hey, we're gonna sign this match. Hey, we're gonna have that match, mm-hmm. and and you know it was. I mean, I, you know, we'll get in and we'll talk about the, the match and, and uh, the breakdown and stuff. But it really was, you know, really smart sort of, um, you know, booking because you had, you look at the guys that they put Hogan up against, you know, in the in the lead ups to this. And again, you know, I go, I go back to to Randy and Andre and, you know, even going back to the first WrestleMania, you know, where he was going up against Piper, you know, it was pretty much, you know, they could have had a one-on-one, but anyway. Um, you know, you're looking at this from the standpoint of maybe Warrior is the first believable guy who could be Hogan. And I know, again, people are going to jump on me and say, you mean Andre, it wasn't believable that Andre could beat Hogan? 
Andre was in was not in the, in good shape. I mean, even then he wasn't in good shape. No. And and that was more about really putting Hogan over and the body slam spot. Like that's that's what the whole thing was about. And even with Randy, I mean, it that was more or less a means to an end as opposed to like directly Randy against Hogan. I mean, Savage won the belt from from somebody else, and this was more just a way to get the belt back on Hogan warrior might've been the first guy that you could really look at and think, Hey, this guy could take over from Hulkamania. He had right. the crowd. Oh no, sorry. Well, I was going to say he had the crowd behind him. He had the look, he had the charisma like you. And again, looking back on it with hindsight is sort of, you know, the same, you really felt like the warrior and the power of the warrior was the first real legitimate threat to Hulkamania. Yeah. And I mean, going back to Andre, we're three years past WrestleMania three. And right now I'm reading uh, the wrestling observer yearbook for uh, 1993, which was when Andre passed away. So there's a, his obituaries in there and let me give a plug. Um, there's four books that Dave Meltzer of the wrestling observer has done. There's two tributes books, uh, which are a compilation of the obituaries that he does in the newsletter that are very informative and actually, as weird as it has to say, very fun to read. Um, the two new ones are year reprintings of, uh, yearbooks, uh, that are available on Amazon. Uh, the two that are out are 93 and 97. And they are very, I'm going through there's and there's things in there that I'm reading that I'm like, I didn't know that. Um, and, you know, reading about the death of Andre and kind of where he was at the time of WrestleMania three, like he's wearing a back brace and WrestleMania three, like he's, he has no feeling yeah. under his, below his knees, that kind of thing. He wasn't, he was believable looking as a child but looking at him now or video of him back then now the man couldn't move yeah um so you kind of you kind of get into that uh let's look at some trivia for this show uh it was in toronto at the sky dome there's were future multiple time world champions edge and christian they were in attendance lance storm was there renee young was there did you know Diamond Dallas Page had a, com a, ca a cameo in the show? He was driving his pink Cadillac to take Rhythm and Blues and Jimmy Hart to the ring. So, uh, I, so just before we move on, so funny coincidence. I happened to be scrolling through Facebook last night and came across DDP's WWE Hall of Fame induction speech from 2017, where he actually said that he had, you know, was at WrestleMania six and they wanted him for the car, not because of him, obviously. So yeah. kind of a weird little coincidence, uh, tied into the show. Uh, we always talk about some celebrities, uh, before that Stephen Amell, who's the arrow, uh, and would compete in WWE at SummerSlam in 2015. He was there and they showed uh, Mary Tyler Moore was at ringside. There was a backstage segment with Steve Allen, which Steve Allen in 1990, love it. Uh, uh, the Bolsheviks, uh, Boris Zukov and Nikolai Volkov 
if you don't know who Steve Allen is, ask your grandparents. Uh, and uh, Miss Elizabeth was interviewed at the event as well. Yes, so let's jump in now. We're going to blow through the card here on our way towards the main event. Uh, there was one dark match, two of our favorites competing in a dark match. Paul Roma picks up the W over the Brooklyn Brawler. What better two guys to send out there to get a crowd of almost 70,000 people fired up for a pay-per-view? You think that match went more than four minutes? I would be surprised if it went more than 45 seconds. <laughs> 45 but it, minutes it, to get down the I wanted to see the brawler going down the aisle. Uh, that's the thing is, you know, these eras of the giant stadium WrestleManias with the huge, this is kind of before they did the massive elaborate, um, you know, stages yeah. and designs, right? So it was just, hey, the ring's in the middle of the Sky Dome and you're coming out of the dugout uh, like much like they did at WrestleMania three, where I felt like the entryway was three and a half miles long. Um, and they used the, they used the carts here, right too. Yes, they did. They did use the carts. So, and, and to say, okay, well, it's at sky dome for us now sitting here going, Oh, it's at the sky dome. No big deal. In 1990, the sky dome was just open. Like yeah. it was the state of the art, high tech uh stadium the the retractable roof was a wonder of the world like it was being it wasn't like oh great it's at the it's at the roger center no no sky dome was the place to have an event this size in 1990 yeah absolutely i mean it was the sky dome at this point uh had only opened not even a full year prior to this and this particular event still to this day um is the second most attended event in the history of the skydome behind wrestlemania 18 and only by like a thousand people yeah um so these the you know wrestlemania has always been the, the couple times it's been at the skydome huge huge business uh, for the WWE for sure. So we hit the main card. We're kicking it off with the, the model. Rick Martel picks up the W over Coco Beware in three minutes and 51 seconds. One thing I must note as we go through this, 15, uh, 14 main card matches, only one match did Dave Meltzer give a dud or a negative star rating. So even though they're coming fast and furious in terms of the matches, with four, five, six, seven-minute matches everywhere, uh, Meltzer was a fan. They were they were generally good matches. Uh, the uh, next match was uh, tag team title match as Demolition Axe and Smash defeated the colossal connection of Andre the Giant and Haku. Uh, it was after this match that went nine minutes and thirty seconds that Andre turned face again, leaving Bobby Heenan and slapping him in the face a couple of times uh, to get uh, to make right with the fans as well as he was uh, on his way out uh, at this point. Two good smacks and then a giant whiff that the cameras completely caught when he whiffed on the third swing uh, by a good eight to ten inches. Uh, but uh, you always love in this era seeing Bobby the Brain get beat around a little bit because... It was usually well-deserved. 
Uh, up next, we had uh, Jimmy Hart uh, with Earthquake coming down. Well, I always liked about Jimmy Hart in these shows, he always changed clothes for every one of his guys. Yep. Uh, so Earthquake defeated Hercules in four minutes and 52 seconds. Earthquake, once again, one of those ski mask all-stars coming in, getting the check, and getting out. Yeah, I mean, I, I did love that about Jimmy Hart. And I think, you know what, one thing I... I like about this era you know what the more hindsight i have the more i was a i'm a fan of earthquake in and just in general i mean he was around for for a good few years was a good hand um you know again could go out there and and have a five minute squash match you know where he'll just run across the ropes and sit on you and then be absolutely petrified of snakes and i mean we're only a few months away from him feuding with the, with the Hulkster. Uh, so yeah, you know, it just, I feel like earthquake in the grand scheme of things, maybe unappreciated for how kind of, he was just a reliable performer, you know, through the late eighties and early nineties uh, for the WWF. Now this next match, I don't listen. This is the one match on the card that just makes me want to beat people <laughs> senseless. I hate this match. Brutus the Barber Beefcake against Mr. Perfect in the match that quote-unquote broke Mr. Perfect's undefeated streak in 7 minutes and 48 seconds. The match itself, not terrible. Two and three quarter stars from the main man, Meltzer, but I, I, I don't know. I, yeah, it's one of those matches where I just, I still hate that it ever happened. Listen, Beefcakes is, is always in that role. Like, he's just always there for things like that. And, I mean, WrestleMania, you get, you, especially back in that era, you, was your biggest show. And in the big show, your faces always go over. Uh, your next match is one that doesn't exist anymore. If you, uh, if you uh, look for it on the network, it is uh, Bad News Brown and Roddy Piper. It ended in a double countout in six minutes and 48 seconds. Uh, you know me, I am a huge Roddy Piper fan. And I get what he was trying to do. He was trying to show bli that, that black and white together and it's all unity in that. Great message, not exactly great execution uh, in this. Uh, but uh, Roddy did, you know, they, they had a Bad News Brown Roddy Piper match and uh, fought their way down the aisle. I guess you're going to have to find it on YouTube or, you know, old DVDs or something now. Yeah, uh, again, uh, the sentiment was nice. The execution, not great. No. Uh, and again, has aged very, very, Horribly. very, very poorly. <laughs> so... Again, you know, uh, much like you, I was always a fan of everything that Roddy ever done or did. But this is one of those times where it's like, oh. Have you ever heard the story of what happened after the match? Uh, no. So Roddy's made up. It's professional makeup that uh, came in and did the and did the change in color. And there was a makeup remover that the person that did it brought to remove it and i want to say it was chief j strongbow poured the makeup remover down the drain 
and refill the bottle with water. So Roddy's in the shower after the match trying to get the, the paint off and it won't come off. It's like a permanent marker mm-hmm. deal on him. And it took about two or three weeks for it to come off. So he has to go through, especially coming through uh, after WrestleMania where it is so dark he has to go through the airport like this for a couple of weeks. Yeah. So he talks, he talks about going through the airport all painted up with a big teddy bear in his, in his arms because he's taken that home to his daughter and the looks he's getting in the airport. Yeah. Not, not, not an ideal situation to be involved in for sure. So let's talk about the actual Ski Mask All-Stars uh, Hall of Fame match for WrestleMania 6. It's the Hart Foundation, Bret Hart and Jim Neidhart, defeating the Bolsheviks of Nikolai Volkov and Boris Zukov. It took me longer to say their names than the match went 19 seconds. Oh, baby. Talk about, again, like you said, the the, the Hall of Fame creep of, cream of the crop Ski Mask guys here. 19 seconds but hey they got in there they got their paycheck they got it done the heart foundation who's their stock on the rise here you know even though they were in the ring for you know longer than i've been analyzing this match um but yeah uh, you know what else are you gonna say other than they were followed up by a couple of my early 90s favorites heenan family member the barbarian Picks up the W over Tito Santana in four minutes and 33 seconds. This was Fur Barbarian. He was in all the fur with the antlers, right? Mm-hmm. At this point, yeah. A Barbarian, listen, I was always a Barbarian fan. He was a big guy who hit hard and looked like he could beat you up. Like, I, nothing wrong with that. He's a member of the, uh, I believe he's he's one of the members of the Samoan family somewhere in that in that family tree. Um, he was a member of the Head Shrinkers later on as Sioni. He's just he's good at what he does. Uh, and I was a big fan of the Powers of Pain too. Yeah, I mean, again in this era, right? Classic Vince McMahon body guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe he doesn't have the greatest. You know, Mike skills, greatest personality, greatest charisma, but great look, strong guy. Um, you know, that was the story of the late 80s, early 90s WWF, right? It was body guys, body guys, body guys. Uh, you know, we're going to talk about a couple body guys in the main event. But like, again, you know, he what he was asked to do, he did very well. Um, I have no issues with the Barbarian. Again, he despite his, you know, limitations outside of being a strong, powerful, good looking dude. Um, you know, he did, he did a great job again, those, he, he did what he was good at and picked up a lot of paychecks doing it. Yeah. Speaking of body guys, let's talk about their next uh, match where it had dusty Rhodes and Sapphire, uh, miss Elizabeth joined them and they defeated Randy Savage and queen Sherry. That was a mixed tag match and went uh, seven minutes and 52 seconds. So here's the thing. On this, on this, on your Dusty Rhodes scale, how high up the scale is polka dotted Dusty Rhodes? 
Um, he's not see I not seeing a huge amount of NWA when Dusty was active because we didn't get it up here. Yeah, I'm I knew of Dusty Rhodes through the magazines. Uh, I actually don't mind polka dot Dusty Rhodes. Uh, I actually like after polka dot Dusty Rhodes a little bit more. Who's with the uh, remember when he had the red and black polka dots and the cowboy hat or the top hat with the antler gimmick he had for a little bit before he left. Um, I like that Dusty Rhodes. I like NWO Wolfpack Dusty Rhodes. Um, Listen, Dusty at this point was at the end of his career. He was getting checks. He wasn't booking anything. Like he was just having fun. So, uh, you know what I mean? I, I can't be mad at that. And having great matches with Randy Savage. Yeah. Around the, I, the loop. So, I mean, there's worse ways to make a dollar. Yeah. I mean, what a lot of people don't realize, and again, like you alluded to, you know, if you were younger in this area, you might not have known who Dusty Rhodes was. And I mean, he started his wrestling career in the late 60s. So, like, he'd been around, right? He had been around for, you know, the better part of a quarter century by the time this is happening. So, if you're, if, the WWE incarnation of Dusty Rhodes is the only version of Dusty Rhodes that you know. You really don't know the whole story behind the American Dream Dusty Rhodes. Um, I did love WWE Dusty Rhodes. I think, again, in the in the latter years of his career, I really enjoyed it. I know he went, went and did some stuff at WCW. Uh, he went and did some just absolutely garbage stuff in TNA in the 2000s that like most people who went to TNA in the 2000s probably wish they had never done, but a paycheck is a paycheck. Um, But again, like if you'd never seen Dusty Rhodes before 1989, when he joined the WWF, you really don't understand everything that went into getting Dusty Rhodes to that point. And to get to, to, to today, most of the guys and girls, especially the girls that are on the main roster now that have been there for a few years have been, were Dusty's kids in NXT. Yeah. Um, I will say being, have, having been a fan for a very long time, you see a lot of wrestling deaths. Um, untimely ones and, and things of that nature and ones you kind of expect and, and things like that. One of the very few that actually took my breath away uh, was Dusty Rhodes. Um, I got the text message or notification come up on my phone while I was at work. And I was actually, I was actually a little upset because I, knowing through the WWE magnifying glass of what Dusty meant to NXT and the next generation, I was like, that was the Dusty. That's my favorite Dusty, is the Dusty that was on NXT as the mentor. Yeah, and, and again, to loop back to something I alluded to earlier, which was DDP's 
Hall of Fame. I mean, DDP admits that, you know, without Dusty, he would have never become anywhere close to the guy that he was. And there's so many guys here. There, Kevin Owens is another guy who has said so many... Um, so many great things about Dusty over the years that he would have never gotten to where he got in WWE. Uh, Becky Lynch is another one who is very connected to to Dusty and and his teachings and his promo classes and stuff like that. Again, he's just had over the course of you know five decades, he gave so much to the to the wrestling business. There's so much of today's and you know even the last twenty years performers that oh a lot of their success to things that the American dream taught them. Um, this was a, this was a good match. I mean, it got the job done, right. Uh, you know, putting dusty and, and Sapphire over, uh, you know, really keeping the, the heat on Randy Savage. All right. So after this wonderful banger of a mixed tag match, we have, more tag team action. This time, the Orient Express, Sato and Patanaka, with their ever-loving manager, Mr. Fuji, picking up the win over the Rockers, Shawn Michaels and Marty Jannetty, via the old countout. Everybody loves a good. Everybody loves a good countout in a tag match on a pay-per-view. Just well, cut, that's just, that's cut just it. what everybody needs in seven minutes and thirty-eight seconds. Uh, Jim Duggan defeated the Canadian strongman Dino Bravo with Jimmy Hart in Earthquake. That happened in four minutes and 15 seconds. And then we get to what I think is my favorite part of WrestleMania 6. And it's not a match. It's an interview. And I don't ask this often, but I'd like if you could to get the WrestleMania 6 interview that Jake Roberts does with... With Gene Okerlund before this match, it is the best interview I have ever seen. Jake Roberts is a master at it, and this is a master class. Jake the Snake Roberts, the match is at hand. Well, well, the million dollar man, Ted DiBiase. Here we are at WrestleMania, and it's the biggest match of your career. Why? Because everything you stand for is on the line, namely the million-dollar belt. Oh, yeah. It can be yours once again. You see, all you have to do to get it back (laughs) is go through Damien and me. But you see, Damien and I don't forget. We remember all the times you made people grovel for your money. These were people far less fortunate than you. People who could use your money for essentials. And what did you do? You made fun of them. You humbled them. And you humiliated them. Well, now it's my turn. I'm going to make you beg, DiBiase. You are going to get down on your hands and knees. This time, you'll be the one that's humbled. This time, you'll be the one that's humiliated. And this time, you will be the one that grovels for the money. And how appropriate (laughs) that the money you grovel for is your very own. A victim of your own greed, wallowing in the muck of avarice. 
yeah, Roberts was always um, at the top of the class in terms of, you know, promo skills and and just being able to stare deeply into the camera with his, you know, raspy, quiet voice that he almost never raised. That's the best part, too, is he's got that similar tone through all of his promos. He he, he rarely goes goes up the ladder in terms of voice but when he does it's so impactful um just such a great promo uh ahead of this match against uh or yeah against the the million dollar man with the million dollar championship on the line the only other match on the card that went double digit minutes 11 minutes and 50 seconds and jake's what jake's interviews were always uh, um he came around and did uh, a loop of shows here a few years ago. And I, I've worked with some guys that worked with him on that show. And he gave, like he, he would talk to the young guys about how don't everybody screams and yells in interviews. Don't do it. Talk low, talk yeah. clear because you want your interviews and your promos. You want everybody to lean in to listen and not sit back. And that's a, that's a lesson a lot of people should uh, learn. Uh, it was it was a great match. Uh, next, a uh, couple of big guys that really could work it if they want when they had to. It was the big boss man and defeated Akeem uh, in uh, one minute and forty nine seconds. So uh, that's really all that we need to say about that. Uh, <laughs> yep. Um, the semi-main event was Rick Rude with Bobby Heenan defeating Jimmy Superfly Snuka. That went three minutes and 59 seconds. And then, ladies and gentlemen, it's time for your main event of the evening. And I believe this really was a WrestleMania of interviews because I believe before the match, they showed the famous Warrior interview where he's walking around snorting, talking about how he's taking a plane and taking control and dropping it into the earth to kill Hulk Hogan. Yeah. That so again, in, in the long line of ridiculous ultimate warrior promos, the plain nosedive promo is by far the most insane promo he's ever done. Because again, it starts with the snorting and the, the deep, breaths in and out and then goes into you know again him in a very quiet calm voice you know talking about this plane and then you know the pilots who have made the ultimate sacrifice and and we'll toss a clip of it in because it's just so ridiculous but yeah it was whole whole gun yeah oh yeah uh, there gun. was I don't know if you can find it now because I think it got disappeared after a lawsuit, but on the self-destruction of the ultimate warrior DVD, there is a portion of that where they talk directly about this promo and Christian does a word for word snort for snort yeah. rendition of this interview. That is amazing. If you can, if you have a copy of that DVD or can find it on YouTube or something, it is worth a watch because before Warrior and WWE got back together, they that was the biggest smack around 
that I have ever seen. And I didn't know. Go ahead. I feel like sometime around his Hall of Fame induction, shortly before his unfortunate passing, there was, I, I believe that Christian either did a portion of that again. I seem to remember that some making it into some sort of ultimate warrior tribute, either around his time of where he went in the hall of fame or after his passing, where they did a little video talking about people's reactions to his promos. I'm going to see if I can find, find a piece of that because I, I distinctly remember that happening on an episode of raw. I think it was. they may have used the same interview because I mean, here's the thing. The warrior is going to be the most out there promo guy of all time. Talking about being run over with lawnmowers and, you know, like, it's just, it's insane. But again, the build is there. We're here. It's the ultimate challenge. The ultimate warrior coming in as the intercontinental champion. Hulk Hogan as the WWF heavyweight champion. They go head to head for 24 minutes and 51 seconds before the ultimate warrior picks up the one, two, three and becomes the new world wrestling Federation heavyweight champion. Effectively, according to everybody for about two seconds, putting an end to Hulkamania. Yeah, exactly. Warrior was uh, blowed up from his entrance. Oh yeah. Uh, as you can tell, and when they do the stare down in the ring, Hogan, they neither of them used the the uh, rings, the little, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, the the carts. The carts. They didn't. Neither of them used the carts. Uh, Warrior ran down the ramp or the the aisle way. Yeah. Hogan took his time. Um. Warrior had to kind of do that as it was part of the, the, the character, but you could tell he was blown up just starting the match. Yeah. Um, I don't know what you think. This match, we're not looking at this as a technical masterpiece. Well, and here's the thing, right? So if you look back, almost every reputable wrestling uh, you know, magazine or newsletter at the time said this was the match of the year for 1990. Um, again, the fact that these two guys managed to stretch this to almost 25 minutes is a small miracle because you've got two guys, neither of whom can work worth a damn. <laughs> Hogan's got three moves, right? Uh, a punch, a back rake, and a leg drop, and a big boot, I suppose, if you don't count the punch as a move. Um, the Warrior wasn't super versed in you know, technical wrestling either. No. But again, that's not the point. The point is you have the immovable object against the irresistible force. And, you know, they play up to the crowd quite frequently, especially early in the match, um, you know, where there's a good few minutes of them just standing around, sizing each other up. Um, There's a lot of very effective crowd pop pauses, especially, you know, after they run into each other. Uh, um, you know, with the shoulder tackle, trying to see who's stronger and nobody really gives an inch. And the crowd is so hot and into this because again, it was something that you'd never really seen before. You'd never really seen the top two baby faces in the company head to head in front of 68,000 people. Can you think of another Hogan match where they did a 
two crisscross spots? Never. No. It's, no. It just doesn't. It's and again, it's it's a slow, methodical twenty-five minutes where you know they're really just trying to to milk this for everything that it's worth. I personally think it could have been fifteen minutes and probably achieved the same thing. Um, but you know, we get to towards the end of this, and they're both just exhausted. The double, uh, the double clothesline spot is one of the most memorable spots in WrestleMania history. Cause I mean, it kind of marks the beginning of the end of this match, but you know, again, I feel like you've could have cut out 10 minutes of the middle, do the double clothesline spot, which goes into the, to Hogan hulking up. Um, and then, you know, knocking the warrior down, he misses the leg drop. And then the warrior does the gorilla press slam and picks up the one, two, three Hogan kicks out at 3.0000001 seconds. Um, really putting the new guy over. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I mean, it wasn't, he didn't get beat with his finisher because he, he didn't do the gorilla press that time. Remember yeah. Hogan did drop the leg, missed the leg warrior comes off and does the splash. Oh, the splash. Yeah. Sorry. Gets the one, two, three Hogan jumps up before the referee does. Yeah. And kind of makes it kind of puts more of the heat on himself. You'll notice the referee messes up a spot there as well because he grabs the belts from the from the ring announcer and to give them belts to the warrior and warriors like no Hogan's got to give it to me and and kind of pushes them away. Yeah. This was the closest match I think Hogan had in WWF of Japan Hogan. Um you always heard of Japan Hogan where he actually it's not that he can't do the wrestling holds and moves and things like that. It's that that's not what his yeah. character and spot in WWF was to do. Yeah. Um, he actually, I've seen a few Japan matches from him before his big WWF run. And he, ha he can technically wrestle when he has to. Yeah. or wants to, or or calls for it. So uh, this match was put together by Pat Patterson, move for move. And it was, you know, it was looked after and practiced. And um, Pat said um, in various interviews that this was one of, he considers his crown jewel matches. And I think he's right to do so. I, I That's not a, a knock on it. Um when it comes to the match, like you say, it's very methodical. Warrior was not comfortable in some of the like things like the criss crisscross. Um, this match did not need the ref bump. Uh, you could have taken out the spots with the visual pinfalls on either side. I think you could have taken that out and, and it would have been fine. This was good for what it was. Yeah, so, I mean... The thing that people always point back to about this, and this is one of the reasons why I think in later years, as people have gotten older and become smarter about the business, this is another one of those times where it was all about Hulk Hogan, brother. Like, again, you know, the whole point of this from a booking standpoint was you were trying to transition the championship to the Ultimate Warrior. And I get it, hard-fought match, 
you know, 25 minutes, Hogan kicks out at three and a millionth of a second. Immediately, the camera pans to Hogan pointing to the sky, you know, asking God, why? Oh, it was only a two. Like, there's just, there's nothing. <laughs> Hulkamania don't do no jobs, brother. Um, like, I almost feel like the, 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 the end of this match did more for Hogan than it did for Warrior in the end because you've already got a champion who's been the champion for 14 seconds and already the focus is back on Hogan again who is going away for a while. And I'm not saying that Hogan's actions at the end of this match and, and handing the championship over and, again, you know, making it about Hulk as he usually was known to do all through the 80s and 90s and pretty much every day of his natural born life as a wrestler. Um, I don't know if that hampered or held the Warriors title run down, but it's not how you wanted it to start. I mean, in my opinion, you know, you should make this moment about the Warrior, only about the Warrior. He overcame Hulkamania and just let's forget about Hulk for at least five freaking minutes. Yeah. Maybe that's just me. No, listen, I think you're right. I think Hogan's on camera more than Warrior after this match uh, with the long shots of him going back in the cart as well. Like, it just... Because they went off the air not long after this match ended and, like, Warrior's up on the turnbuckles with the with the fireworks and, and things like that. Um, I don't think... And, and in this, of course, looking back 2020 hindsight... I don't think it was ever really going to work with warrior in my yeah. opinion, because he's of, he can't carry 20 minutes a night uh, on to, on the top of the card. He can't like he, he had a hard time warrior on Regis and Kathy Lee doesn't work very well. And yeah. they proved that when he went on there. Yeah. I um, think, in this era, you're pretty much still in, from a WWE standpoint, you're still in that whole, you know, our champion is the face of the company. You didn't have a whole, but like you do now, where you have a whole stable of marketable stars. I mean, up until that point, WWF was Hulk Hogan. And the goal was to make WWF the ultimate warrior. And that's like trying to put a round peg in a square hole. Yeah. Um, and, and going back to it, like at that point in 1990, there are two world champions. There's the NWA world champion and the WWF world champion as recognized when it comes to world championship recognition for professional wrestling, which is not a like not a legitimate sport. You don't win or lose in the ring. It, it, things like that world title recognition is handled. Most people recognize pro wrestling illustrated as what decides what's a world championship and not, do you know how many titles singles, how many companies have world title recognition from pro wrestling illustrated as of this past week? Uh, six. 13, 13, 13 companies have oh, world yeah. title recognition. 
including Impact, MLW, CMLL in Mexico, New Japan. WWE has multiple world champion levels championships. Like it's it's ridiculous these days. Carrie Von Eric said one time, there's only one world show, so there should only be one world champion. We're out of that these days. You're right about Warrior not fitting in that championship hole. Yeah, it, it just did it just didn't work. And again, you're you're if you're Vince, right? You're looking at a guy who had been your champion over the past 2000 days for 1700 of those days. Like Hogan came off a 1474 day title run when he got screwed by the double Hebners and DiBiase and Andre, you know, Randy had the belt for a little over a year. The belt's back on Hulk for a year, because again, for WrestleMania four, five, and six, the only title changes that occurred in those years were at WrestleMania. Yes. So you're, you're trying to transition your company from a guy who in the last six years had been the champion for five of those years. The face of your company, say your prayers, train, take your vitamins. He was WWF. For better or for worse, whatever you think about Hogan in the later years, and a lot of people's opinions of Hulk have changed, as again, they've gotten older and realized you know, all the political stuff that he did. You cannot argue it is an, an undistinguishable fact. Hulk Hogan was the WWF in the late 80s. He, he was that company. He lived it. He breathed it. You associated him with WWF more than anything else. You associated WWF with him. He was the company. There was nobody else that could even hold a candle to him. So it doesn't, to me, it doesn't matter who the next guy up was. They had an impossible mountain to climb. You looked at the warrior. He had the look. He had the charisma. Um, you know, he had the energy. Um, but again, you're really looking at a company that, you could make an argument that the next time they really have that face of the company is Austin. Yes. And I know I, the Shawn Michaels haters are going to be all up in my messages, but I really think the next face of the company long-term champion that they had was Austin. And that doesn't happen for eight, years after wrestlemania 6 no listen i agree i i i am a sean michaels fan i liked sean more than i liked brett um and that might get me a couple of messages yeah but those guys were not face of the company champions no they were great champions but they weren't like the big wrestling booms were hogan and austin yeah and the next one will be somebody else. And it's not, it may not even be somebody. And I, I say it's the next one, like it's guaranteed to happen. I don't know if we're in a place right now with the fragmentation of entertainment yeah. that we get a wrestling boom. Um, 
people that look at TV ratings and say, well, wrestling's not getting the TV ratings that it got 30 years ago or it got 40 years ago in Memphis or in Kentucky. Oh, yeah. what a terrible, you know, terrible. Nobody gets those ratings anymore. Yeah. Like the Super like the Super Bowl ratings I believe and I I could be correct about this, but there everything is down because it's not a community view anymore. And if we're being honest about it, ratings are not the be all and end all anymore. Social media, YouTube views, uh, people laugh about trending on Twitter, but you know what? That's a big deal. TNT did not invest TV time in AEW because they thought they were going to get three and four and five and 6.0 ratings. They got it because they knew it was going to be steady ratings and it was going to pop on social media. And it was two hours of almost PVR free programming. Yeah. And that's what they, that's what the networks want is live programming that more people than not are going to watch live and not PVR. But there's a reason that they look at PVR plus sevens and PR PVR plus 10 ratings. But at the end of the day, ratings don't matter as much as they used to. And nobody will get the ratings that they did in the eighties, nineties and before. Yeah, I mean, you look at the guys who were WWF champion between Hogan and Austin. Again, I, I'm not slighting those guys. That list includes Warrior, Sergeant Slaughter, Undertaker, Flair, Randy Savage, Bret Hart, Yokozuna, Bob Backlund, Diesel, Shawn Michaels, Psycho Sid. Those are all the guys that at one point or another between 1990 and 1998 were WWF champion. And again, none of those guys were universally accepted as the face of the company. I think the closest one that they really had a chance with was probably Brett. And again, the, the crowd just, they weren't there for Brett Hart being the face of the company. They weren't there for Diesel being the face of the company. Again, even Flair wasn't the face of WWF. The Flair, Flair was the face of wrestling for a very long time. And it wasn't until Austin came along, and then it wasn't about the championship anymore. And that's one of the great things I love about AEW right now, is you look at, it's so intriguing, the storyline between, uh, you know, interweaving, you know, and I hate talking too much about current, but you look at what's going on between Moxley and Omega and the Young Bucks being in there and Good Brothers being in there and whatever, you almost forget that it was about the championship is how it got started and that the championship is still sort of involved. They have those feuds without it being directly about the title. And while when Austin was white hot, it was always about his chase of the title, but he was always the face of the company, regardless if he had the strap or not. If he was wrestling Vince on a pay-per-view, Austin was the man. And, and WWE has always had, and they always will now in this multi-title, multi-brand era, 
they will probably never have a face of the company again. I think those days of wrestling are probably over. I think there's so much talent out there. There's so many promotions, um, you know, at, at a higher level when you're talking like the bigger promotions, like New Japan, like WWE, AEW, uh, you know, the guys with big TV for even to a certain extent, Ring of Honor uh, and Impact. I think you're not, you're never going to see those companies unless lightning in a bottle occurs, have that top number one guy. So, in a long roundabout kind of way, I don't think there was ever a chance Warrior was going to live up to the billing. And I don't think there was ever a chance that anyone else in wrestling at that time could, could have lived up to what Hulk Hogan did over the last six years. Yeah, exactly. We should get to the aftermath, but I, I have one last point. Um, WWE will not have a face of the company because WWE does not want to have a face of the company. They don't want people when pandemic's over and things like that, buying tickets to see Steve Austin or to see Roman Reigns or to see CM Punk or whoever. They want people to buy tickets and tune into TV to see WWE because Steve Austin can leave. Hulk Hogan can leave. WWE is is and always will be the constant. I don't disagree. So you're right. Let's hit the aftermath. After this, um, Warrior was the double champion, being the IC and heavyweight championship. Well, uh-uh, that's not allowed, according to WWF rules at the time. So Warrior vacated the Intercontinental Championship. Um, and they had an eight-man tournament, which was conducted on Superstars of Wrestling and Wrestling Challenge, which was WWF's syndicated programming at the time. And the winner becomes Mr. Perfect with his big IC title run after he defeats Tito Santana in the final. Speaking of Perfect, and I alluded to this earlier, they build it on WrestleMania as his first uh, loss, pinfall loss in WWF. But we all know he got beat on, uh, what was it? Uh, uh, it was an MSG show, right? Yeah. Like two weeks before WrestleMania, he got beat. Oh, but hey, yeah, on, he got beat on the by the MSG Warriors. network. Yeah, yeah, because back the then they would uh, all of the arenas had their own regional sports. Like Boston had one, New York had one with MSG. Uh, I forget what the Boston one was called. Philadelphia had Spectrum. They all of the house shows in that arena would be either showing live on delay that night or were showed like a week later. So you, that's where you would get all of these matches for the Coliseum home videos and matches on uh, all American wrestling. And that were from these house shows um, that were taped uh, as the new champion the warrior would uh, initially be successful uh, with his main rival being ravishing Rick rude uh, during the spring and summer of 1990. Meanwhile, Hogan wrestled several matches in Japan shortly after, but was soon feuding with a 470-pound earthquake. Uh, that heated up when Earthquake sne sneak attacked Hogan on the Brother Love Show, and announcers explained that uh, Hogan's injuries from the attack and the loss of the Warrior took such a huge toll on his fighting spirit that he wanted to retire. 
and viewers were persuaded to write Hogan to encourage him to return. Remember the Hogan friendship bracelets and tugboat and everybody who wrote in for a friendship bracelet ended up on the mailing list for WWF and started getting merchandise catalogs. Bruce Bruce Richard talked about that on his podcast is that the write in to help Hogan was a way to boost the, um, the mailing list. So we're a couple of months after here and already we're back to, to making Hogan be the most relevant part of the program. I do think it was a smart move to put the warrior with Rick rude. Uh, they had a very successful program where rude basically carried warrior through 1989, but it was a good character building uh, exercise for warrior to get him ready for this. So it seemed logical to put rude back in there. And then of course we roll into uh, uh, Sergeant Slaughter being in the title picture, of course, you know, with his famous ultimate puke <laughs> that he used to call him regularly. And then we're into Slaughter being an Iraqi sympathizer and then being a transitional champion. And we're back to Hogan again a year later. Um, the the Hogan writing letter stuff was completely ridiculous. It was even as a kid, it was like, dude. I mean, I kind of felt bad for Hogan, but it was like. Come on. <laughs> Just stop already, please. Um, uh, we talked earlier about what happened with Andre uh, and with turning face. Uh, he did tour Japan in April, same tour that uh, Hogan was on. This would prove to be Andre's last televised match in WWF as his real-life health problems uh, were continuing to take their toll. Andre returned to WWF late in 1990 for several non-wrestling appearances that continued into 1991. He was in the corner of the Bushwhackers for some matches. And I believe it was at SummerSlam that earthquake and was going to attack Andre again. And the road warriors, the Legion of doom came out uh, in order to help uh, Andre. His health would continue to decline and uh, he sadly passed away on January 27th, 1993. Demolition began a slow heel turn during the spring of 90, adding the third member Crush to the team. This was due to Axe. He wanted to uh, take a lesser role uh, in actively wrestling. you got to remember Axe before Demolition was the masked superstar, so he'd been in the business 20 years or so. Uh, Also, he was one of the machines uh, for uh, WWE for a while. And finally, it was the last stint as a color commentator at a WWF pay-per-view event for Jesse the Body Ventura. He continued on Superstars through August, but would be uh, gone by SummerSlam. I'd like to point out uh, Demolition Acts with the longest retirement tour in the history of wrestling. Uh, because he tries to inch away here in 1990 and finally wrapped up his retirement tour in August of 2017. Uh, so a 27-year 20, retirement tour uh, for Axe, which, you know, he, he he milked it for sure. Were you, did you go to the demolition match here in Miramichi? No, I did not. Okay. They, uh, XW. A, I think brought them in uh, Axe and Smash they did a tour around 
around the Atlantic provinces or around New Brunswick, I guess it was. Uh, and it was, uh, I went to the show X and smash, but neither one of them took off their t-shirts and neither one of them fell down. Uh, but it, I want to say if it didn't sell out the civic center, it was real close mm. because it, I was there and this was, I would think uh, this, this is when I was working at 95.9 Sun FM. Uh, and I was there not representing them. A couple of friends of ours, uh, uh, Patty Quinn and uh, Darcy McLaughlin. Uh, Patty was the ring announcer for the main event match, which was the, the demolition match and uh it it was interesting but it was it, I, if it wasn't sold out it was real close uh and it was it was it was a good night it was a good time it was nice seeing uh, the uh the, the guys in action and that's well, wrestlemania oh go ahead well, I, I was gonna say you gave me the perfect segue speaking of a good night and a good time that is gonna bring an end to this episode of ringside rewind covering wrestlemania 6 the ultimate challenge, one of those great childhood WWF memories. Uh, CD was talking about it earlier in the show. We have a special WrestleMania weekend episode coming your way uh, later this week uh, from when you're hearing this, which goes out on Wednesday. I'm not going to tell you what it is, but it's something a little different that we've been planning for a little bit, uh, a little while. So we will have that. Keep it locked to the Twitter twitter.com slash ringside rewind or make sure you subscribe at ringside rewind.com uh, or in your podcast app of choice on android or ios uh, hard to believe chris we've already this is episode number seven i feel like time is just melting away yes it is it's uh, we're having a, a great time uh don't forget uh, you can also check us out uh you can check out snaggle at snaggle j on twitter check us out on facebook at ringside rewind and you can check me out on twitter as well at cd lawrence what else would you like to say to the people snaggle jay hey thank you so much for listening to the podcast we appreciate your ear holes each and every other wednesday here on ringside rewind and until next time be kind and rewind